Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, as Pastor Craig mentioned, we are closing out the series Three Ps in a Pod. Three Ps in a Pod. I want to read two scriptures up front, both of them being from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, the one of the Old Testament wisdom books. Proverbs 17 and verse 16. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom since he or she has no heart for it? Then the second one is Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. I want to teach a simple but I believe challenging and uh, life altering potentially message today titled Possessions, a Hand and Heart Alignment. Possessions, a Hand and Heart Alignment. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your gospel that you have redeemed us, reached out to us, and Lord, you have now purchased us through his blood, through his body that was broken, that established an everlasting covenant. And Lord, we are thankful. and Therefore, we take a moment to express our thankfulness to you. Lord, we have so much in you to delight in. So much in you to rejoice in. For you're the God of all hope. You are the God of peace. We thank you. Your kingdom has come. And we ask now that your will would be done in our heart, in our hands, in our life, in our congregation. We thank you, Father. You're a merciful Father. You're a compassionate Father. You're here with us. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus. I yield to you. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Have you seen the show American Pickers? It's a show that's been on the History Channel for years now. They have a picture there. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, basically their sort of vision statement uh, of their show and, and their passion and their business is they travel around uh, parts of the country and they are looking for antiques, old antiques. And they climb into old barns and dilapidated buildings and go in what, according to their heart and their hand, they go treasure hunting, looking for antiques. In fact, on their van that they drive around, you see it says An- antique archaeology. Notice that. They are hunting for antiques. They're trying to dig them up. Things that have been buried, things that are covered and clothed in cobwebs and spiders and other creatures that I won't name. At least some of you get chills down your spine. But... If you haven't ever seen it, maybe you should check out one episode. Um, but when I watch that and I think of this show there on the History Channel, 
I think of this question. Why are there so many people then who have gathered every old item imaginable into barns, into sheds, into old buses, into old businesses and buildings just to sit there? Just to sit there. Well, let's go on a little history lesson this morning. The Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world lasting from 1929 to 1939. It began after the stock market crash of October 1929, which sent Wall Street into a panic and wiped out millions of investors. Bless you. Eventually, many banks failed. Businesses closed or let employees go. There were droughts. The Dust Bowl took place along with farmers who could not even afford to reap their crops, and therefore they rotted in the fields, even though people were experiencing hunger and in need. Here's the point. My grandparents' generation, I'm 41, by God's grace, but my grandparents' generation who grew up through such a decade does not come out of that context unaffected. It affects the worldview. It affects a person's desires. It affects one greatly. See, listen, when you do not have money to buy anything, then later anything becomes seen as valuable. In times of lack, you don't throw away things that you cannot just readily and easily go out and buy nor make on your own. So you keep it. It is valuable. Why? Because it's hard to come by. When there is no confident, steady supply of an item, demand for it most likely increases. Then we see that out of necessity in such hard times that they faced and went through, an option for many is that they had to create the items that were not readily available. Thus it resulted in the creation of many small businesses across our country and their corresponding products and services. Which is why now historically you look back in my grandparents' generation, you have the start and the creation of so many self-employed small business owners. These are, of course, generalities, but they are a major generality for that generation. But my children, my oldest today being 12, And many of us have grown up through almost an utopian-like, long-for time of prosperity. Now when there is an abundance of readily available clothing, readily available food, readily available toys, electronics, household items, people consume at their discretion and desire. You do not grow up in this context unaffected. It affects one's worldview. It affects one's desires, it affects one greatly. When you view, you can always purchase, buy and consume something whenever you need it or desire it, you purge. You simplify. You declutter. You don't hold on to things. And you see that this has been a trend. You see that there are shows that highlight this generality, this trend. Tiny houses. Why? Because at the end of the day, when I start feeling too big in the tiny, 
and I don't want my tiny house anymore, I can just go out and actually buy a real house. When I'm not using a bike, I sell it. I throw it away. I give it away. Because if I ever want to ride a bike again, I'll just go out and buy another one. Those house decorations, no longer want them, get rid of them. Because if I ever need or want them again, I'll just run to the store and buy them again. And when it comes to the topic of possessions, I find that this historical understanding is wise to have. As Greg Easterbrook communicates in his book, The Progress Paradox, there's something referred to as the tyranny of the small picture. The tyranny of the small picture. He says instead of the big picture, we often see the small picture, aware only of the lesser negative within the greater positive. When I think about the tyranny of the small picture and the tyranny that he speaks of, I think about how Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 speaks about how it's not wise to measure ourselves amongst ourselves. That it's not wise, look at this, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. When it comes to American church context, it's not wise for small churches just to compare themselves to other small churches. It's not wise for megachurches only to compare themselves to megachurches. When you compare yourselves only to those that are already like you, it's not wise because you can miss out on the full scope of needed evaluation and measurement. But this ties into the tyranny of the small picture. For many, when it comes to the tyranny of the small picture, I think of a ruler. I think about 12 inches. A ruler is small in comparison to the line that God has drawn out on the universe. I don't know if you happened to catch the lunar eclipse that took place just a couple nights ago. I end up watching it and staying up. Didn't have plans to, but it worked out that way, and I end up enjoying it. Though I had difficulty trying to find it out my house, I was going around looking through every window and just where it was at when it was happening. It was it was almost right above the house, so made it difficult. But um, you know, when you think about the universe and you think about God and what He's created, I mean that's a major line. You're talking about some major dimensions. But for many of us, the tyranny of the small is like a ruler. That when we measure our life, when we measure things, we measure it by the small instead of the big picture. We go up and we, we look at a vehicle and we don't measure it by the big picture of the vehicle. We measure it by the small. Oh man, look. Look. They got heated leather seats in their car. My seats aren't even leather. We're measuring it by the ruler. We're measuring it by a small scale compared to the ultimate purpose of the vehicle. For some of us, when we measure clothes, we go and the tyranny of the small. We look, I remember growing up in high school, we would look at the chest because we were looking to see if you had the Tommy flag or the Tommy symbol, Tommy Hilfiger. 
I got some in my, there. Oh, yeah. But we're measuring, oh, look, I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel content. I don't feel happy. I don't feel joyful in my clothes because I'm the tyranny of the small. I don't have a little polo horse. I don't have a Tommy symbol. My, we're measuring them by the tag. I, my shirt's not a Gap shirt or, you know, young people today, Abercrombie. And it's the tyranny of the small because a shirt's still a shirt regardless of the label. A vehicle's still a vehicle regardless if we got leather heated seats or not. Some of you get out, you walk through your friend's house and the tyranny of the small, the ruler, you're, you're actually measuring the size of their flat screen. Dang it! Their flat screen's eight inches bigger than my flat screen. The tyranny of the small. A flat screen's still a flat screen, even if it's eight inches smaller. And the tyranny of the small picture, and when we measure ourselves just by ourselves, or amongst ourselves, has led to in our culture an, an abundance denial. For most people today in America, there is an abundance denial. Greg Easterbrook goes on and say, says, in which millions of women and men construct elaborate mental rationales for considering themselves materially deprived and in so doing only succeed in causing their life experiences to be unhappy. See, when it comes to food, when it comes to shelter, when it comes to housing, when it comes to health care, when it comes to education, when it comes to travel, for all of us, we have to think about how the tyranny of the small picture is trying to rob us. Why? Watch this. Two generations ago, you would have had no indoor plumbing. You would most likely be using an outhouse or bathing buckets. In 1940, half of all homes in the United States lacked indoor plumbing. Our grandparents' generation only had 15% of houses with heat and air conditioning to 95% today. One century ago, only 20% of Americans owned their place of dwelling, where today it's around 70%. The average, the average educational achievement for Americans now exceeds the comparable figure for the upper class of a few generations ago. Two generations ago, almost everyone lacked health insurance rather than the approximately 10% today. A generation ago, a doctor would tell a patient with chronic non-specific knee pain to take aspirin and avoid strenuous activity first thing in the morning. The standard was that you live with such things. Today, the notion of living with any treatable discomfort is unthinkable. Air travel, once a privilege of the well-to-do, is now affordable to everyone. In my parents' generation, the norm was one restaurant meal per month where today the typical American eats four restaurant meals per week. In 1850, the typical American man's work week was 66 hours. In 1900, 53 hours. Today, it is 42 hours. Our allocation studies have shown that Americans now have more free time than at any point in the nation's history. 
Since 1960, typical American has gained five hours of free time per week. Here's the point. The sum of the social changes detailed above is that today the rich and the typical do not live in fundamentally different ways. There is no longer a wall between the basic structure of daily life for the wealthy person and the typical person. I'm going to say it again. The sum of the social changes detailed above is that today the rich and the typical do not live in fundamentally different ways. There is no longer a wall between the basic structure of daily life for the wealthy person and the typical person. It's the tyranny of the small picture that is invading our worldview and our heart. Instead of the big picture, we often see the small picture, aware only of the lesser negative within the greater positive. We fly on the airplane in the tyranny of the small picture as we measure our experience through a small scale. We're in coach, not first class. We have to pay to order a meal. They got a free, frozen, but heated up meal in first class. The tyranny of the small robs us from the reality of an abundance in our experience. Greg Easterbrook concludes and says, As evermore material things become available and fail to make us happy. Material abundance may even have the perverse effect of instilling unhappiness because it will never be possible to have everything that economics can create. Oh, we got a smoothie maker, we got a blender, but the tyranny of the small, it's not the most newest ninja model. Oh, I got an iPhone, but the tyranny of the small, it's not the the same iPhone, but with bigger memory. Tyranny of the small. And the question then comes to us is, Where does this leave us Jesus followers today in regard to the issues or the issue of possessions? Where does this leave us? For those of us that are followers of Jesus or seek to follow Jesus, where does this leave us in regard to the issue of possession? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at some points that Scripture presents. The first I want to mention is God is said to have possessions. In Psalms 104.24 it says, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. See, as creator, what he has created is said to be his possession. Secondly, the wicked are portrayed as greedy for possessions. Proverbs 1 and 13 says, We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. The context is... is They were gathering together as a group of robbers. They were seeking to rob and because of greed to gain possessions in an ungodly way. Thirdly, we see Scripture teaches the point that possessions can be wasted. Remember the prodigal son? 
Jesus in this story in Luke 15, 13 says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. An interesting point to take note of is the wasting of his possessions was another fruit of his distance from the Father. See, followers of Jesus, fellowshipping with the Father and the household of faith, focus on being a wise steward with possessions. It was the prodigal son who had left the father's house that began to have the fruit of wasting his possessions due to his distance from the father. The next point I want to highlight comes from one of our main scriptures that I read up front, Proverbs 3 and 9. It's this, we can dishonor or honor the Lord with possessions. Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. Here's the breaking news. You ready for breaking news? Breaking news, breaking news. They love that phrase, don't they? Breaking news. Here's the breaking news, friend. Your possessions are not just your possessions. Listen, they are yours in the sense that they are not a, another person's down the street. But they are not just yours in the sense that they actually belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. God, through Christ, has purchased the earth and all that's on the earth. And so the possessions we have, they're ours in the sense that I can't legally and rightfully before God and the land take yours. But they're not just yours in the sense that they belong to the Lord. They belong to Him. That's why Proverbs, the Spirit of Wisdom says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And when it says the first fruits of all your increase, the first fruits of all your increase, this is what God began to teach from the beginning in uh, His dealings and leading of Abraham. All through, even in the Old Covenant, this this phrase is rooted in what the Scripture calls the tithe. The tithe was the first 10% of increase or income was to be presented back to the Lord to honor Him and to recognize that all we have is not just ours, it is the Lord's and we're stewards of it. The next point I want to highlight is we are called to possess our possessions, not our possessions possess us. In Obadiah 117, there's an interesting scripture. If you've not read Obadiah in a while, you should do it. You could read it very quick. There's only one chapter. So in Obadiah 117, it says, But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Two things I want to highlight about this is notice God's people, when they're walking in the promise of God, They are called to possess their possessions, not their possessions possess them. The other thing I want to highlight is notice it says that there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. For us as followers of Jesus to possess our possessions and not our possessions possess us, there has to be deliverance and holiness. What do you mean deliverance? There has to be deliverance from wrong thinking and wrong worldviews and wrong ideas regarding possessions. 
The world is possessed by their possessions. They don't possess their possessions. And so as followers of Jesus, there's got to be a type of deliverance. There has to be an experience of salvation in our heart, in our mind. Not talking about, oh, Jesus is Lord and one day I'll be with Him. No, no. His salvation applied in the area of our possessions. There has to be a holiness. There has to be a a working of Christ in our heart and in our mentality and in our outlook and our worldview when it comes to possessions. In order for us as God's people to possess our possessions and not our possessions possess us, there has to be the work of God's Spirit delivering and sanctifying and making us holy in Him. So we are called to possess our possessions, not our possessions possess us. We're called to honor the Lord with our possessions. Possessions can be wasted. The wicked are portrayed as greedy for possessions. God is said to have possessions. The next point I want to mention is we are called to contentment and away from covetousness. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice the call is that we're called to contentment and we're called away from covetousness. It's also interesting to note that in this scripture, when the writer speaks of contentment and covetousness, he right after that, talking about such things, mentions, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Which makes me think, how much of covetousness comes from us not being aware of who He is and that He's with us. Now let me talk now and focus in on possessions and purpose, or as the title of this message, a hand and heart alignment. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus says some powerful, eye-raising, eyebrow-raising statement in the culture of His day. The context was as someone came to Him and said, Jesus, I need you to tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, who made me arbitrary, arbiter or judge over this matter? And then he makes this statement, Luke 12 and verse 15. He said to them, take heed, beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things, everybody say things, He possesses. Jesus said that experiencing the actual purpose of life, to actually experience the intent of life, that to experience the life that He came to give and He desires for us, it is not wrapped up or it does not consist in the abundance of of the things that we have. See, listen, the life Jesus intends for us is wrapped up in the amount of His life you possess. 
experiencing the life that Jesus intends for you does not consist on the things that you possess. It consists and it's based on how much of the substance of His life you actually possess and have formed in you. See, as a new believer, Scripture paints a picture that you have Christ like a seed on the inside of you. But the goal and the call of God is to allow that seed Christ on the inside of you to continue to grow, to continue to increase that His kingdom, His lordship, His life would continue to grow on the inside of you. Just like the intent of God of when conception happens in a, in a, in a female, that that life would continue to grow. God's intent is that the life of Jesus on the inside of us would continue to grow, that it would lead to a type of fruit, a display that everyone around us would know that His life it's not only in us, but it's been formed and it's possessing more of us. See, Jesus said part of His mission, why He came, is He came to give life and life more abundant. He didn't say, I came to give things. I came to give life and life more abundant. And when we think about the issue in the, and the theme that we all face when it comes to possessions, the foundation really starts with that which is, or that who is the foundation, Jesus Christ and His life. Jesus continues on right there. Let's read it together in Luke 12. And in verse 16, right after this, it says, Then He spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And He thought within Himself, saying, What shall I do? since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Look at verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself. Everybody say himself. And is not rich toward God. Now I don't know if you caught it as we read it. But this man that God says was a fool. He says I six times in that little inner dialogue that he had to himself. He said, my, another time. I, 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 me, focus. And Jesus says, he's a fool. So is he who lays up treasure just for himself and is not rich toward God. Listen, we are not to be rich in possessions, but poor toward God. We're not to be poor in our stewardship. We're not to be poor in our character. We're not to be poor in our trust of God. We're not to be poor in our faith toward God. We're not to be poor in good works, but rich in possessions. We're not to be poor, and here's the point I want to tie in, 
We're not to be poor in considering others. Notice Jesus when he says that man's a fool is he only considered I. His increase, him tearing down and building bigger was all for himself. It wasn't for God, watch this, and it wasn't for others. It was only for him. And you and I as followers of Jesus are not to possess possessions for ourselves. For ourselves. This is what scripture calls part of the mind of Christ. In Philippians 2, 3 through 5, it's what scholars call the kenosis passage where Jesus, could, who is equal with God, right, laid aside using some of his divine attributes when he came in the flesh and he emptied himself and he took on what Paul says there in Philippians 2, the mind of Christ. And what it says is, is that he did not do things just for himself. He did things for the glory of the Father and how the Father led him to benefit others. The mind of Christ, watch this, is not to do things or acquire things just for self. It's always asking the question, how do I possess this possession for the glory of the Father? You say, well, what's the glory of the Father, Pastor Chad? How do I possess this possession for the good of the Father's kingdom and the Father's purpose? The mind of Christ asks that. And so when it comes to possessions, when it comes to buying possessions, purchasing possessions, acquiring possessions, maybe some of you up to this point have never asked that question because you've not had your mind yet renewed to have the mind of Christ formed in you. You have inner dialogue or inner questions like what God says is a way of a fool, foolish thinking. How can this just benefit me? How can I just spend this on my pleasure? No, no, the question for us as followers of Jesus is to get the mind of Christ and to ask first, how do I possess this possession for the glory of the Father, for the good of the Father, for His kingdom, for His glory? The second question is how do I possess this possession for others? When I think about buying and purchasing something, how will this possession, my purchase of this possession, how can I possess this for the glory of the Father and His kingdom or how can I purchase this possession for the benefit of others? If I can't answer those questions, then according to Scripture, it would be a foolish purchase for a follower of Jesus. Because it would be contrary to the model of the one we're called to be conformed to, Jesus and the mind of Christ we can have formed in our life. And when we don't learn to ask these questions, then what begins to happen is our hands begin to move our heart away from God's wisdom. Our hands, through purchasing and acquiring and seeking to gain, begin to move our heart away from God's wisdom. Jesus, right after that, says in Luke 12 and 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. And God feeds them. 
of how much more value are you than the birds? Listen, friends, we do not just believe lies. We live the lies that we believe. We overvalue possessions when we live the lie that we are undervalued by God. This is what Jesus is saying. We overvalue possessions when we live the lie that we are undervalued by God. I wonder about that man whose barns had plentiful. He said, you know, I'm going to tear down and build a bigger barn. I wonder if all of that inner dialogue and all of that that his hands were being put to is because he believed the lie that God didn't care for him and that God wouldn't care for him. Because his inner dialogue didn't include God. It was all self-centered, self-dependent language. I, 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 me, and my. Oftentimes when we believe the lie that we're undervalued by our Creator, that His eyes are not upon us like Hebrews said, that He Himself will never leave us nor forsake us, that He is always with us, that we start doing or seeking to possess more possessions to try to gain value from our wife, from our husband, with our kids, with our friends with our peers. And what Jesus is saying, say, no, consider. Consider how valued you are by God, your Father. And that He's with you. Why? Because if we don't know and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into the experience of this truth that we're valued by the Father, then we'll be unable to possess our possessions and we'll find ourselves being possessed by our possessions. Lastly, this leads us to our other main text there in Proverbs that we read up front, Proverbs 17 and 16. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he or she has no heart for it? My prayer in the preparation of this message and my prayer for us as a community, my prayer for you moving forward and for all of us is may we possess wisdom before we possess more possessions. When it comes to the young men and women, the children in this community where we're molding the foundations of many generations, my prayer as an overseer by God's grace is that they would possess wisdom before they possess possessions. If not, if you have now acquired and you have many possessions, but do not necessarily have the mind of Christ and God's wisdom when it comes to this area in life, listen, we'll need plenty of repentance. Repentance is one of the six basic teachings of what relating to Jesus the Messiah looks like as we follow Him. Repentance just means a change of mind and a change of the preference of our will. 
And if we've acquired and we possessed a lot of things before we possess wisdom in dealing with the things that we've acquired, then we're going to need a lot of repentance, right? We're going to need a lot of changing of the mind of how we view possessions, how we view God's value of us. For some of you that have acquired and have a lot of possessions before you've possessed God's wisdom regarding this topic, I want to encourage you and tell you today's still the day of salvation. It's still a day of repentance. It's still a day to change your mind. It's still a day to grow in grace and the mind of Christ. And here's the encouragement is the difficulties that you have brought upon yourself are to become the thorns and bruises that encourage your repentance. To encourage the growing and the conforming of the mind of Christ. See, listen, God possessed wisdom before He created His possessions. And you and I who are followers of Jesus, according to Ephesians 5 and 1, are to be imitators of our Father, imitators of God. See, God was clear on His purpose before He gained possessions. And to become like our Father means before we acquire possession, we should know what is the purpose for that possession. If we acquire things and buy things and gain things before we know the purpose of the possession, then we'll end up being possessed by the possession instead of us possessing the possession. When our heart, though, gets set on the way of God, our hand will purchase wisdom first before possessions. When our heart gets set on the way of God, what is the way of God? Let me remind you, the way of God is God possessed wisdom before He created possessions. So when our heart is set on the way of God to have wisdom, to know a purpose before we would possess something, then our hand will purchase wisdom. Our hand will seek wisdom before the possession. Wisdom is displayed when our heart and our hands are aligned with God's purpose. I'll say it again. Wisdom is displayed when our heart and our hands are aligned with God's purpose. Possessions are to fall into this alignment of purpose, not hinder it. So possessions can cause us to be foolish when our heart has not been purposed regarding our possessions. And sometimes the foolishness of our purchasing of possessions falls back on to the tyranny of the ruler of the small. Measuring by small things, not fundamental purposes. Name brands, Measuring by popularity, measuring by the winds of trends, measuring by the scale of luxury versus the fundamentals that we have. I got nice floors in my house, but my tile's not heated. The tyranny of the small, an abundance denial. 
See, Proverbs 13, 7. Come on, man. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. What's it saying? Liability rich, but asset poor. Rich in liabilities, but poor in assets. Say, what what are you talking about? Liabilities take money out of your pocket. Assets put money in. You say, why does this matter, Pastor Chad? Oh, money matters because it's a matter of the heart. And possessions matter. Because if we don't know the purpose, we'll end up being possessed by our possessions instead of us possessing them, which can hinder us in the purpose of God for our life. Let me tell you why else it matters. Think about this. You can't be used by God to put money into others' pockets if you do not already have money in your own pocket. Can you right now imagine in your mind, in your heart, one person, one family, one friend, one co-worker that you would love for the Father's good pleasure to be able to be a blessing to them? Well, without money in your pocket, how are you going to get money in their pocket? Wisdom matters. The way of God matters. Because as we walk in the wisdom of God and experience a prosperity of God but not of this world, then the Father's good pleasure can prosper through our hands as we bless those around us. That as we experience the goodness of God's wisdom, we display it and letting others experience His goodness through us. Can I hear an amen? In Mark 10, 22, you remember... One came running and he knelt down before Jesus and he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Sell what you have and give to the poor. Notice he asked, not what to believe, but what to do to experience eternal life. So Jesus spoke to a doing. But it says in Mark 10, 22, he he was sad at this word. And he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's the point. Our possessions are never to hinder us from following the Lord. Our possessions are never to hinder us from living missional, for staying on mission of following Jesus, obeying Jesus, obeying the Lord. You know, Michelle and I have had to walk that out many times as Church planners, missionaries, called of God to serve His people and move cities, move places. And the Lord says, Go. And you say, Well, Lord, <laughs> we're in a down economy. 2008 to 9, the housing market crashed. And Lord, we're, we're underwater. How are we going to obey you and move? And what are you going to do with this house? Well, that's when the Lord teaches you how to be a good landlord. How to get at renters. He guides you in different ways. 
But ultimately, we're never to allow possessions to hinder us from following the Lord. In Ezra 8, you remember the story? They had been God's people, old covenant people, been in captivity in Babylon for decades. Ezra gets a burden to see the promises of God come to fulfillment. Ezra and many, they leave Babylon to go to Jerusalem to finish the temple and the rebuilding of the city. And in Ezra 8, 20 and 21, it says, a fast was called to humble themselves and seek the Lord. Watch this. For the right way. Everybody say the right way. For them, their children, and their possessions. Here's God's people and they had possessions. It's not wrong for God's children to have possessions. God just doesn't want us to be possessed by our possessions. He wants us to learn to do what Proverbs 4, 5, and 7 says. To prioritize first getting wisdom. Thinking about the purpose of what that possession will do in serving God and serving others. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve her. Preserve you. Love her. Love wisdom. She will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Here is Ezra and the group. They call a fast and they pray and they say, Lord, we need your right way, not just for our life and for our children's life and future, but we also need the right way for our possessions. Why? Because they had in tow things that were going to be used to rebuild the temple of God, to rebuild the city of God. And today, likewise, God is looking for a people that says, Lord, we'll humble ourselves, we'll pray, we'll fast. Some of you, to get the wrong thinking, to get generational bondages and thinking out of your life, you're going to have to throw some fasting on top of your Bible reading and you're praying to humble yourself and say, Lord, I need your right way of wisdom, not just for my life and my children, but also for possessions, that they would never hinder me from being a part of building by your grace and anointing your dwelling place, your people, and being a part of seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ and your kingdom go forward. So Proverbs 17, 16, wise, they're in the hand of a fool, the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart for it. Some of you, the greatest thing you can do this Christmas with your Christmas money is use that money to purchase wisdom, not more liabilities and not more possessions. That you would first get the wisdom of God and the way of God for your life when it comes to possessions, the way of God for you. Because Proverbs 3, 9, if you'll honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, God says that there'll be a full supply. There'll be an overflow supply. And that's what I'm believing. I'm believing God would raise up in this church, in this movement, a group of disciples with the mind of Christ that would live out the honoring of the Lord and with the wisdom of God would possess possessions, not just for themselves, but for the glory of the Father and for the glory and the benefit of others. Can I hear an amen? amen. Oh, that we would overflow full supply and we would live free from the tyranny of the small.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.